0: That's BlueNile.com.
1: Join me, Chanel Denton, on the search for truth and guidance through conversations and content around the cosmic moments that can bring about exponential growth. You are invited to discover tools and techniques to manage challenges, master transitions, manifest abundance, and live your best life. The time for cosmic moments is now. Welcome. Today I'm with Jonathan Bard, a writer, traveller, and teller of stories. He's here to talk about his story and how we form ours. We've met up in Peru, where Jonathan has been working through various healing modalities, including plant medicine, breath work, and meditation. Welcome. Thank you for speaking with us today and sharing your insights, Jonathan.
0: Thank you very much for inviting me.
1: You're quite passionate about Vipassana. What are the deepest insights you've got, and why would you recommend people going to Perpassna?
0: I've been on a journey for a while, which sounds like a cliche, but I started trying to find my way out of a fairly miserable place a good decade ago. Every other modality that I seem to go to comes back to the same place, which is being present not attaching and an acceptance. These are the fundamental principles of Vipassana. Again, these are things that quite often occur in so many places that we take them to be heard words. We hear these statements and believe them to be something that is just that. It's There's not the same potency behind them, but Vipassana is incredibly potent and it allows people to reconnect with the core of themselves. How? From my understanding on a physiological level, Um, It's a little bit complicated, but bear with me. Basically, the way we as humans exist in this world and reality is through the apertures of our senses. We interpret the world around us based upon detail, because there is endless detail in the world. And the meaning that we derive from that detail determines the patterns that our senses see. And then from that, the way that most people think we work is that we see a pattern, we think about it, and we react or respond. But actually on a physiological and psychological basis, that's, that's not true. We recognize a pattern through our senses. Our body then reacts to it based upon what it thinks that pattern is, based upon our past life experience that we've lived through and the meaning that's been derived from those experiences. And then, and only then, do we get the opportunity to think about it. Now, by that point, our entire biochemistry and our body's hormones are all cascading in a bias towards reinforcing that previous choice. And it's very difficult to change that. And that's, of course, where real change comes in. The desire to change our habits, our behaviors, the way in which we interact with others and even think. Where the passion comes in, it allows you to generate awareness. It teaches you not to have a, a strong determination with the mind to be focused on a place, but rather to exist almost outside of the mind, to exist within the sensations of the body instead, to simply accept everything that comes up. And what this means is that when patterns are recognized by our senses and when our body reacts to it and we feel anxious or we feel angry or we feel upset or any of these things, when we are able to remain aware and not react to them, it means that those patterns don't get reinforced. Hmm. And if we are able to be aware and respond, we can choose to change the patterns. Now, again, as I said, it gets a little bit complicated, but... Basically, the way it works with our, the way our thought processes and the, the habit patterns we create is we have these things called synaptic bonds. And the synapses that send signals to each other to send thoughts grow closer together the more often we send the same sorts of thoughts because the body is a very efficient system. You can see this as being analogous to having two people standing across a garden throwing a ball to each other. It takes a longer time for the ball to travel between them. If they grow closer together, it takes less time. And this is what the synapses do. The more that ball, that thought pattern, keeps on reoccurring, the synapses grow closer and closer and closer together to make it more instantaneous. And this, as it happens, is how we develop habits. It's habits are willfully or consciously intended behaviors that we do so often that they eventually become subconscious. Now, going back to the synaptic bonds and those people throwing the ball to each other across the garden, where this comes in is that if you imagine a reaction as the two people who are very uh, comfortable or used to throwing the ball, who are really close together and they've got a good partnership going, and then your response, which is to say your choice that is consciously intended as being two people who are much further apart than these other two people throwing the balls, If both people of a ball throw it to their partner, who is gonna catch the ball first? It's gonna be the person who's closer, which means that you are more likely to react rather than to respond based upon the ingrained experience and habit patterns that have been developed from what you've lived through. Now, how this ties back into Vipassana, and why it's important, is that Vipassana lets you generate sufficient awareness to not be in a reactionary state where the mind isn't constantly reacting to everything, but rather where you're able to feel the sensations as they come up, where you can even start to find the source of a feeling that would then lead to reaction, where you can observe even the recognition of a pattern by your senses before it starts. Now, this can be something as simple as recognizing the pattern of a poster or a piece of music that causes you happiness or anxiety, but it can also be something like having someone on the phone in the house that you're in, and you know that as their voice starts to get faster and the words start to become closer together and there's less space between them you sense that they are getting into a stressed state with whoever they're on the phone with and you know from past experience when they come off that phone they're going to want to vent and dump on someone. Well this is also a pattern and so you recognise that pattern often and leave the room without really understanding where it's come from. But when you are able to have the awareness to recognise the feeling as it comes up then you're less likely to react and more likely to respond if that makes sense to you
1: yeah so to our listeners that don't understand what Vipassana is or have never heard of it could you explain what Vipassana the practice entails
0: yes so Vipassana basically entails being on a it's a 11 day Meditation retreat. Around 10 of the days are spent in silence and what they call noble silence, so no eye contact as well. Through that, you are working very internally on awareness of your mind, of sensations, and really giving a lot more space and focus to things that you previously won't have. And through that, because you're able to generate this space and awareness, it's much akin to fasting, which people are familiar with. When people fast, they go without food and they're able to do so for a long duration of time. Well, it's analogous to this with Vipassana, in that when people fast, they don't actually go without food. It's simply their body uses its reserves. And in the same way, the mind, which we often think is being us, but actually isn't, when it's without excessive thoughts and stimulus, it seeks to find other things, and it actually ends up almost feeding on its past reserves. All those past experiences, all of those reactions, all those things that... Potentially are deeply seated in traumas in your body, in the nervous system, in the muscles, as you start to create space and you're not reacting and reinforcing those synaptic bonds, more things start to surface up. And as you don't react to them, they don't get reinforced, which means they start to unravel and then new ones come up and then new ones come up, which is why it is such a potent and powerful practice for changing behavior. Because not just during a Vipassana course, but in the months and years that follow after it, maintaining a regular practice allows you to generate sufficient awareness to observe how it is that you are actually choosing your behavior or choosing to remain ignorant of it in order to perpetuate what is essentially a lot of misery for a lot of people, including myself previously
1: so then following on you carried on your journey after vipassana to come to peru and do diets with with plant medicines and meditations in the jungle how does this compare and what insights or how how did this help you
0: it's been hugely powerful Um, as i said in the beginning a lot of these modalities all tend to lead back to the same place but in life the same lessons tend to loop on us until we learn them so We go to many different sources in order to understand and and hear things in slightly different ways to find until they resonate with us. And this is what writers do, and it's what writers have done for hundreds of years. The same sort of archetypal themes tend to reoccur in most books and literature, but it's simply that each writer comes along and gives us a slightly different spin or flavour of it, which connects to a different audience in another way. I have learnt many things through the Passioner, and I will learn a great many more. And it's a fantastic tool, but. Personally, I don't believe it is the only one. Um, Working with shamans and working with medicinal plants and continuing to carry the awareness through a practice of meditation has allowed me to understand a lot more about myself. You mentioned holotrophic breath work at the beginning, it's something that I'm Looking into a lot more, and the, the work of Stan Grove and Christina Grove, holotrophic breath work, much like these other modalities, really helps us to get into a state of awareness where we we're able to work quite deeply with things that are normally outside the realms of our consciousness. And that's ultimately what I'm doing, and it's what most people are doing when it comes to their, their self growth and development work, is really reviewing and editing their own narratives. It's learning about the stories we tell each other and that we've been told or adopted. And where the work of the likes of Stangrov and and meditators, teachers for hundreds of thousands of years comes in is, again, they look at their own story. They look at trying trying to get back to the, the root of where it comes from. What we tend to do, especially in the West, is we will feel things, but we quite often, we wrap our words around things in order to derive meaning, in order to convey and communicate. And this is part of being human, but we also often code our experiences with words based upon how we perceive things, and this sometimes misleads us. Talk therapy can be hugely beneficial to a lot of people, and for myself it's been incredibly beneficial to be able to articulate things and work through things with someone who's able to listen and give me a perspective. But these other sorts of work that have been done by shamans and by meditators and through the practice of things like microdosing and psychedelics and breath work they allow people to get to much deeper levels that exist beyond the conscious mind and there are a great many theories there to do with the ways in which energies are actually held in the tissues of the bodies which is where it ties into things like somatic work as well and and in the nervous system the plant medicines that are used by shamans seem to actually allow these energies to be freed up and now they would reference them often as being spirits and perhaps there is a greater level of understanding they have that exceeds our grasp and there's more there but from my understanding it seems like these energies get freed up from the muscles from the nervous system where they are deeply rooted that in turn allows you to continue to work on that growth and move forward. Things like the breath work and Stan Grov's work there, they found that through the, the specific types of breathing, they changed the internal chemistry of the body. And this they believe then actually releases bioelectric energies in the body that have been trapped. Now going back to the beginning when we were talking about the ways in which we work in the world, there is endless detail in the world. And the way we navigate through it is by grouping that detail into meaning through the apertures of our senses. And then the experiences we live through determine our meaning. And the meaning determines the patterns and so our senses see a pattern our body reacts and then we process this in order to be able to move past it and learn a lesson now take an experience that there is no way you can possibly comprehend you're a child and you've been abused you're in a very traumatic experience as an adult even you have no metric or reference to try and actually understand or process it mm. so what happens is the body recognises the pattern, it reacts. But where do these energies go? To my understanding, they stay trapped within the tissues of the bodies and the nervous system. And so it doesn't matter how hard an individual works on CBT, on neurolinguistic programming, on even on a lot of the verbal type of therapies, there are things that they may not even be aware of that have been laid down in the channels of their body. And things like the breath work, things like the use of psychedelic therapies, things like the work with shamans and meditation. These allow people to bypass the thinking mind to a far greater extent, to actually allow these energies to be released. And through these energies being released, quite often, especially in the case of holotropic breath work and certain psychedelic plants of the Amazon, people relive these traumas. But when they are able to practise non-attachment with this and simply acceptance, They are then able to pass through this and they're able to release these energy blockages that would otherwise be getting in the way. And these energy blockages can also be seen as they're not the same as the synaptic bombs, but they are almost, they are habit patterns that are deeply entrenched in our subconscious that we're not even aware of. They're ways that influence our behavior. They're almost like a bodily flinch. And to release these means that things that have previously been stopping you from being able to move forwards, that you didn't even know were there, suddenly are gone. It's like you experience a trauma and a huge surge of energy passes through the circuitry of your body or through, for a sake of a metaphor, through the circuits of wiring and they burn it out and some of the wires fuse together. Well, the signals will never pass through there properly until that's dealt with, until it's rewired. When these energies are released, when that wiring is fixed, then these signals can pass freely again. And because you're not aware of it, you won't even know that those are ways in which you are being affected. They're simply your reality. They're the way in which you exist. For myself, with my own personal stories, I wasn't aware for a long time that I was struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And I wasn't aware that that was causing me to have emotional flashbacks. And that was causing me to have bursts of adrenaline internally on a regular basis throughout the day which put me into states of anxiety which put me into states where I was very tired and then I didn't realize after that that this occurring for the better part of probably two decades had caused adrenal fatigue and so I would be very foggy headed and I wouldn't be able to think clearly and I wouldn't be able to process and I'd need naps during the day and I would have issues of anxiety and depression but this is just the way I thought everyone lived.
1: And what were your tips for dealing with adrenal fatigue for people that may be suffering with that as well you had some really good tips for that
0: if people feel that they may have that and if you're having a lot of foggy-headedness there are things like candida people can look at and there are other possible options there and stress but there's a very good book you can get called uh, adrenal fatigue in the 21st century by dr james wilson and that really goes into it in great detail he was the pioneer behind adrenal fatigue he was the first specialist and he has a lot of questionnaires in there, he also goes into diet. However, for people who are struggling with anxiety and who are wanting to find a way to cope with adrenal fatigue and anxiety flashbacks whilst they're working to heal other things within their health, a diet that's high in protein and fat, whilst not the healthiest, can actually be very beneficial for buffering these anxiety responses. In effect, when we are triggered by stress, if our sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight, kicks in, our body has a message that it needs more fuel to either fight or to get the hell out of there. Now this means it needs more fuel for the muscles or it needs more fuel for thinking. Either way, it needs glycogen, which is the sugars which are the body's preferred fuel source. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now when it releases adrenaline, it also then releases uh, insulin and it also releases cortisol. Now, insulin snatches, to my understanding, insulin snatches the, the sugars out of the blood to transfer them into the cells of the body. What this means is if the body produces a large amount of adrenaline and with it the insulin, and this snatches all the sugars out of the blood to go into the cells, then there is a blood sugar spike, but there is a crash and a very subsequent crash that then causes people to be put into a state where they are not thinking so clearly. Now, this then also activates portions of the brain that are to do with anxiety and to do with negative thinking. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason this is beneficial from an evolutionary perspective is if you are in a, uh, a prey mentality, you need to be anxious to be able to look at all the potential negatives that could occur. You need to see everything bad that could happen before it can happen to you. Mm. But this is a fairly shit way to live a life in the 21st century. So for those who wish to work at changing their behavior in relation to the other things we mentioned as well, the foundational principle is having something that is a solid foundation to work from. Now, in my own experience and my own practice with it, having the first at least two meals of the day as being high in protein and fat and healthy proteins and fats, things like uh, you can go with organic free range eggs, you can go with nuts, you can go with seeds, you can go with pulses, but high in protein and fat and low or non-existent in carbohydrate. And what this means is that even though you still may recognize things that cause you to enter into these what are termed emotional flashbacks, things that cause adrenaline spikes, things that your body recognizes as a threat, even though the adrenaline is released, because protein and fat takes longer to leave the bloodstream, it means that this buffers that response. It cannot snatch all that fuel out which regulates the blood sugar, which helps with glycemic issues, and it means that for people who want to work on changing their behaviour, but keep on having these crashes where they become foggy-headed or very anxious, it means that even though their body's producing that adrenaline, they don't crash. Now combined with Vipassana or any other awareness practice, when you're able to notice these adrenal spikes, you can start looking at, okay, what's causing this? Where is this coming from? Now it can be many different things It can be a fear of confrontation It can be that, person that person's face reminded me On a subconscious level of someone who abused me Or a teacher or a bully And these things seem fairly paltry and insignificant But actually the body keeps score And so constantly spiking these adrenaline, this adrenaline In response to it Because we're in this frozen in this prey trauma mentality Drains the adrenals and then leads to foggy thinking. It leads to things like hair loss, thyroid problems, low energy, low libido, and it can be hell for people, especially if they're really sincere about wanting to make the change. So a diet high in protein and fat for the first couple of meals. You can also try eating every two to three hours with things that are high in protein and fat. And generally, if you keep the carbohydrates to the latter portion of the day, you can also observe and see How your behaviour and thinking changes there Mm. Uh, The other thing you can do Is try and have a nap Or a 20 to 30 minute meditation Around midday And the key to doing this Is actually doing it before you start to feel tired Mm. So when you're feeling really good And you're feeling like Yeah I could go on and I could keep going That's the time at which to actually stop Not before the tank gets empty And the body starts being strained To work with fumes Mm. But actually to refill whilst there's still something there. And that will also, over the course of time, create habit patterns that are more positive so that you start doing this without even thinking about it. Because as we've already discussed, the more you are able to consciously uh, apply your intent to positive behaviours, the synaptic bonds that reinforce those, that make those thoughts more common will grow closer together to make them habitual And the negative ones that you're trying to get away from, because they're not being reinforced, because you're not reacting to them or or commonly doing them, they'll grow further apart Mm. until they cease to exist. And that's how we work to rewrite our own stories. We are taught and we are given experiences that we exist through and these define and shape us. And our reactions to them or responses code and write our stories and we tell ourselves narratives. And by generating awareness through these modalities, we're able to heal ourselves. We're able to change our behaviors and we're able to move forwards in the world.
1: Beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing your tips, insights and advice with us all. A show staple is a favorite quote. Do you have one to share with us and perhaps one of your poems as well?
0: I'm probably gonna misquote it now, but I would maybe go with one from Jung. I am not what has been done to me, but what I choose to become. It's fairly potent. Donald Bartholomew said a writer is that person who which, on setting out on their task, knows not where they'll end up. That's non-attachment, and that's acceptance. Another writer, Malcolm Gladwell, says, people think a writer is someone who creates stories, but actually a writer is someone who has the patience to find them, to wait, to work, to see and seek them out. And that's being present in the moment. And that is what we do when we cultivate awareness, generating it through these modalities. We create the space to see the stories and to write our own, rather than them being written for us, by our pasts, our traumas, our reactions or others. A poem would be, there's one I wrote called To Know, which goes, To sit alone, with all apart, except your fragile beating heart. To hear the whispers worm within that narrow you towards old sin. To know you tried, to feel it firm and find it just another worm. To take a breath and start again and know you know so little then.
1: If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe so that you get notified every time we release a new episode. If you're listening on iTunes, please give us a review as this helps us to get found and help more people. Thanks for listening. Have a cosmic day.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.